Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Well, good morning, King's Church, Cambridge. It's a real blessing to to be with you. And just as I was praying uh, this morning in, in preparation, I just felt the Lord drop into my spirit that God wants you to be in the know and he wants you to be in the flow. And in John 8, it speaks about how that, and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So when we know him, it leads to greater liberty, greater freedom. And God has called us into a relationship. How many of you know that? He's a relational God. It's, it's good that, you know, we're not speaking to a brass heaven. We know that God hears us and he longs to have that relationship and that intimacy with you and I. And he wants us to be in the flow. You know, when we try and do it in our own efforts, how many of you know it can be a bit of a struggle? But when we get in the flow of the Holy Spirit, when we get in the flow of the river of life, things are so much easier. And it's a place where it's not about more striving. It's not about doing more. It's actually a place where you can do less and yet achieve more. Because you're flowing with the river of life. And I was just reading during the worship time, I was just reading a bit about Ezekiel 47, the river of life. And everywhere the river flows, it brings new life. It brings abundance. And, you know, you are here in Cambridge and, and the harvest is plentiful in Cambridge. There's a lot of people out there that need a saviour. And we have the answer, and his name is Jesus. And as we're in that flow, and we're flowing in the presence of God, and we're in the flow of what, what he's doing, there will be an abundance of fish. So it, it, it's not about, oh, you know, I've got to evangelize, I've got to do this. It's, it's pursuing that relationship with God. And from that outflows this, this, this river of life that will bring the multitude of fish. So you'll find that just people will be attracted to you, that, that God will start opening up opportunities. You know, God's presenting you with opportunities all of the time. It's just about opening your eyes and, and seeing what he's trying to show you. And I want to encourage you that, that each and every time that you come to church, don't come with the mindset of what you can get. Come with the mindset, what can I give? You know, the scripture says, more blessed to give than to receive. Now, God is a, a, a giving God. He loves to give to us. He loves to pour out his blessings on us. We know that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. But, but there is a greater blessing. There, there is a, a more blessed that is available to us. And, and I think one of the things I've, I've noticed as I've been traveling around is that there is creeping into the church very much a consumer mindset where it's all about me and what I want and my comfort. But God has called us to be people that, that we're not focusing in on self, 
but we're following the example of Christ to serve. So I want to drop that as an encouragement and a challenge into your spirit that every time you come to church, every time you're gathering together with other believers, ask God, give me a word. Give me a word for someone. And, and, and some of you have a real gift where you are able to pick up when other people are struggling. It's like for you, it's really obvious, but it's not for other people. It's because it's a gift. So when you come in, you will notice people that are struggling. And I want to encourage you, step out in faith. It might be that you get one word, one picture, one sense of. And what I found is, that's often how it works with me. God will give me one word, and I'll go up and share this one word with someone. But as I begin to share the one word, all of a sudden it starts to open up. God's the flow, it's the river of life that begins to flow through your life. Well, I just want to share a bit um, about our background. I'm uh, married to Laura. We have been married for 13 years. We've been together 16 years. Funny story how we ended up getting together. You know, we were born several hours apart in the same hospital. And my mom and Laura's mom in the ward said, wouldn't it be funny if our kids grew up and got together? So when we were about 17, 18, we met because her family had moved across to Wales and her father had traveled and then we met and I remember coming home and saying to my mum, I've met this really nice girl and she said, oh, what's her name? And I said, Laura Keeping and she went, Laura Keeping? She went, is she related to Paul and Julie, which is Laura's parents? Is she related? Is that? is that Paul and Julie's daughter? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, wait there. And she ran off. You know what mum's like really embarrassing. She gets this baby book with loads of pictures. And, and it was like first visitors. And she said, look at that. And there was first visitor and it was Laura's mum. <laughs> God had a plan. And uh, so we, we've been together for 16 years and she's a real support. And I, I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for Laura and the support that she is. So let's honor Laura. She helps compensate for my weaknesses. These are my two beautiful girls. I've got Talia, who's nine. Her, mate, her name means due from heaven. And then we have Sophie, who is five. And they've just been having a real blast as we've been uh, traveling around the United States. We've done five states in two months. And uh, so they've been able to meet lots of different people and experience lots of different churches. And we've had lots of fun and family time uh, together. And and I think they would say, you know, when we ask, what's your, we, we asked a question. We met like amazing, loads of amazing people and great men and women of God. And we were like, who do you miss the most out of the last two months of these epic heroes of faith? And, and they said, uh, oh, we miss Copper and Rascal. Do you know what? They are two dogs. Two dogs that we met that really impacted our girls. So they're a, a real blessing. Well, we lead a church um, in Portsmouth. Has anyone been to Portsmouth? Put your hand up if you've been to Portsmouth. 
It's a great place. It's part of the gateway to the nation. It's the home of the Royal Navy. We've got lots of historic warships uh, that date back years and years ago. And um, we've been leading a church there um, called City Life for 10 years. Um, Initially, I came on board as the youth pastor. Part of the story there, uh, when we arrived, um, the service that we went to Can I be honest, it wasn't the most inspiring. Have you ever been to a church service where it perhaps wasn't the most inspiring? I'm like, is there any life in this place? And uh, we were like the only uh, young couple that was there. Oh, there was Laura's brother and and, uh, sister-in-law. But So basically, I was approached um, by this church about applying for the position of of a youth pastor. And so we thought, okay, we'll we'll be honoring to them. We'll go along and check it out. And it was just not the sort of church that we would have chosen to go to. And uh, so we politely said, thank you so much for the invitation. But, you know, we will decline. And one of the elders, he was very clever. And he came alongside me and said, I know that this is not kind of the sort of church you would typically go to. You're a bit more used to the happy, clappy, vibrant, uh, life, you know, joy-filled churches. But he said, can I ask you a question? If God asked you to come here, would you come? How many of you know that's, that's not a fair question to ask? I mean, that's like the trump card, isn't it? So I'm like, yeah, well, you know, if God says, well, who's going to argue with the man upstairs? You know, who's going who's gonna to argue with Almighty God? And so he said, well, just pray about it and come back and visit us again. So... We uh, went away, we, Laura and I discussed it some more, and we prayed about it, and we thought, let's go and give them another chance, and uh, you know, see if we can brush away some of the cobwebs. So we turned up, and uh, the service was even worse than the first one. <laughs> I mean, I had to encourage myself in the Lord uh, in, in the services, and uh, so I'm there, and I'm... I'm, we're stood in the middle of the auditorium and looking out, and uh, I'm dialoguing with God, and I'm saying, God, would you really want us to come here? And we were part of a church It was, you know, in the process of planning permission for a 2,000-seater auditorium, loads of children and families, and bursting with life, and seeing lots of people saved, and... So we were, we were in a good church. We were pretty happy where we were. But I felt like God speak to me in that moment as I'm saying, God, do you really want me here? And this is what God said to me. Daniel, don't see the church where it is now. See it through the lens of faith. See it through that lens of faith. See it where it's going to be. And I want to use you, bring you to be part of this community, to use you to be part of a great awakening here. I turned to my wife and said, I think God's just spoken to me. And he's saying that we cannot base our decision on what we see in the natural now. You've got to put your faith lens on. And see things where they're going to be. You know, faith, it's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not yet seen. 
And, and sometimes God will call you into a situation that's dark, where it's not very desirable. And, he, and he'll encourage you, put your faith lens on. Look through the lens of faith. Don't look at things as they are, but look at things where they're going to be in the future. And God has called us to be catalysts, to bring change, because we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. If you're a believer today and you've invited Jesus into your life, you've got the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead living in you. You've got that same creative power that created the heavens and the earth. And, and you know, I'm reminded of in Genesis when God was, you know, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth and there was darkness and the world, you know, as it was, was in chaos and it was out form and it was void and it was filled with darkness. But what did God do about the darkness? He said, let there be light. He didn't speak what he saw in the natural. He spoke what he saw in the supernatural. And God has given you the authority as a believer. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. God has called us to speak light into dark places. He's called us to prophesy to the dry bones. He's called us to speak those things that are not in the natural as though they are. And I believe that as we do that, as we step out in faith and we believe, we confess with our mouth, we will see amazing creative miracles. So I want to prophesy into this house and speak growth and expansion. Why don't you just lay hands on some of these empty chairs that are around you. And let's just in this moment, let's begin to speak and prophesy. Father, we thank you that you are a God of multiplication. And we pray for the river of life just to flow through this place, to flow through Cambridge. Let there be an awakening. Let there be a new reformation, Lord, taking place in our nation and around the world. Father God, fill the these chairs. Father, we pray that this church will have the problem where there is not enough room to contain the people, Lord. Father, we pray that, Lord Jesus, that there will be an overflow from the inside out. Father, we recognize not just about what happens in this building, but it's everywhere we go as the church without walls. Father, we pray that we would be in the flow, that the river of life would flow out of us and that there would be an abundance of fish. And we pray for the boldness and the courage. And as we've prayed now, Lord, that you'd bring in the increase, we know that you're going to speak to us. And so, Father, we want to be obedient to you. Father, give us fresh courage, fresh boldness to invite and to bring people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Empty seats are a serious thing to a growing church. And so we need to be thinking about that. Think about the, the wedding banquet. We know the story, don't we? The wedding banquet. And uh, they put the invitation out to all the VIPs, all the really special people. And everyone was like, oh, I'm washing my hair. And well, you're washing your hair, but you're bald. Uh, you know, all these excuses were coming up. And... Um, and, and people weren't responding. And then, it, and then it was like, look, just go into the highways and the byways. Go to the whoever, uh, you know, wherever and bring them in. 
because God wants a full house. And sometimes we can, we can fish selectively with our rod and God wants us to say, put the rod away and throw out your nets. Cast the nets wide. Stop trying to say, oh, well, they're the sort of person that would come to church. They're the sort of person that would be interested. My experience is quite often it's the people you think that are the most unlikely that are the ones that are the most responsive. But so many times we will judge people by the facade and by what we, we see on the outside. Well, we stepped out, we came to City Life Church and God's, God's done an amazing thing. I mean, when we, when we first got into the church, it was hard. I will be honest. Uh, we shortly after arriving, we realized we've just boarded the Titanic. Everyone was leaving. <laughs> the church was on a reel down. I went to my first leadership meeting. I was like cowering down as this crossfire as the leaders were fighting one another and shouting and screaming and you know, the lead pastor just looked at me and I looked at him thinking, you convinced me to come here. Well, you said it was good here. And he just looked at me and he was just like, we're going to get through this. We will get through this. And the church went through a real stripping apart. The guy, the pastor who we had, um, a few weeks before arriving at the church, and he was at the church for about three years, about a couple of weeks before he arrived at the church, he was at a conference and a guy, a man of God, prophesies over him and says, Sir, I see you on a building site. And there's demolition and there's rubble and there's chaos all around you. That is your next assignment. Where I'm sending you, it's to do some demolition work. He said, but I do see a second picture and I see you rolling out a blueprint. So God is going to do the demolition in order to raise up something new. So he came in and, well, we, we called him the demolition man. <laughs> he certainly did that. He looked at every activity in the church and he said, how is this helping us to win the lost and disciple people? And if he wasn't happy with the answer, then he would trim that ministry. And, you know, people have been running activities, you know, 20, 30 years and pouring money and resources and time and effort in. And he was like, hey, that's great. And it may have worked for a season, but if it's not bearing fruit, if it's not helping us to achieve the mission and the co-mission that we have, then we shouldn't be doing it. We need to prune it. We need to cut it back. And of course, people got offended. People ended up leaving. And so the numbers started to drop and drop and drop. And Laura and I are thinking, probably at some stage, uh, there's going to be another cut, isn't there? And it's probably not going to be the senior pastor. It's probably going to be the youth pastor first. Well, there wasn't hardly, there was hardly any youth anyway. And uh, so I'm like, God, you sent me here to help the church grow and it's dying. So I, I needed to encourage, continue encouraging myself um, in the Lord. But God gave me a, a word in that season which was released to increase. And he gave me two pictures. He gave me of the bow and arrow, that the bow had to be drawn back before there was a releasing further forward. And he also gave me the picture of the springboard. And the springboard, you hit the lowest point before you project it up. 
And so God said, you know, just, just trust me in this season. It may seem like there's a backward step, but actually what I'm doing, I'm building some momentum because I'm going to release you further forward. So we, uh, we stayed in there, and uh, just as the church started to stabilize, and it was like people stopped leaving. It was like, okay, these are the people that are with us. Then the senior pastor announced that he was leaving. And uh, so then they were looking, the church I'm from is, uh, I'm from a Pentecostal background, but the church I was part of was was, um, a Baptist church. And so they were looking for someone from the Baptist denomination and uh, looking for someone that was really experienced. So they started going on this journey of interviews and, and talking. They weren't looking at me at all, but because I was the only other paid pastor... I ended up being pushed in to do a lot of the preaching and the leading. They interviewed a lot of people. There's one guy that I thought was going to get the job. It was really close. I felt like God wanted me to have the job, but I wanted God to confirm it to the leadership team. And then 18 months on, the elders called me in and they said, look, the reason we feel we can't find what we're looking for is we're looking for somebody who's already here. The only thing is he's a bit younger than we thought. But, well, he's got 18 months' experience leading a church, and we've never seen the church grow so much. And uh, he's not Baptist Union, but, hey, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, not the Baptist Union of Great Britain. So, which is pretty good. So that was how we, we ended up. Um, being at, at City Life and, and doing what we're doing. And it's been great just to see God just really awaken uh, the church. And we're seeing God do some amazing things. We're seeing a lot of people saved. We're not the perfect church. How many of you know the perfect church does not exist? And if you find it, please do not join it. Because you will ruin it. It does not exist. So normally when, when I go to a church, I will share a bit of my story just so you know a bit about who we are and our context and, uh, and where we're coming from. And I normally share a bit about my family's uh, testimony, a bit of my history, because my history points to his story. My mum came from a very broken background. She had a lot of abuse and violence both inside and outside of the home. So when she got to the age where she could leave home, she jumped at the opportunity. She thought, I'm getting out of this hell hole. No longer am I going to be bound here. She met a guy that she thought was her knight in shining armor. But unfortunately, as the saying goes, that you can jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. That's what mum did. And she ended up being in a relationship for nine and a half years uh, with a guy that was very abusive and he had a lot of dysfunction in his life. And so my mum was very broken. She didn't have any kind of faith background or Christian background. Um, so she was really, really broken and she was looking for love in all the wrong places. And, and, and she ended up getting involved in the occult spiritualism and mum was told that she was really gifted she was actually the god had put a prophetic gifting in her life and she had a lot of discernment but the enemy was trying to counter that and and use it for the dark side so my mum become an occult medium 
And that was just a very, uh, a spiral really downward. Mum's marriage broke up and uh, it was a real time of, of devastation and brokenness. And she hit that place of rock bottom where she was like, I, I cannot continue with my life anymore. She tells me this story how that she was in a flat and she, she felt hopeless. She felt like so many things have gone wrong. I've had so much brokenness. I just want out of this. She wrote her suicide note out. She went and stuck it on the front door for the police to find. As she is walking back into her flat, all of a sudden her budgie starts going berserk. Flapping around, flying at the cage, feathers are going everywhere, squawking. And suddenly, for my mum, it was like a cold ice cold bucket of water had been thrown over and she suddenly thought in a moment of clarity if I die who's going to look after the budgie <laughs> I mean not what about my family and friends because when you're in that place there's like a, a dark cloud and suicide's a big problem in our day and age so uh, in that moment God used the budgie to save my mum. How many of you know that, that God can speak through many different things? He can speak through a donkey. He can speak through you. And me, with our shortcomings, with our flaws. Mum found out shortly after that there had been a group of people that had been praying for her. And they invited her to Elim Pentecostal Church in Portsmouth. And she went along and she gave her life to the Lord. And God did some amazing healing, amazing restoration um, in her life. And uh, how many of you know God changes lives? I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. God's saving grace. So I want to say, no matter how dark the situation that you might be in, or the people that you know might be in, God is mighty to save. He, he's able to save, and he can do it whatever way he wants to do it. And sometimes God works in mysterious ways, but God is at work, and he's speaking. And that story really speaks about the importance of praying for people. Because mum had a group of people that were praying for her they saw she was bound in the occult and she was probably one of the the least likely people that would respond to the gospel would respond to church and yet inside she was broken and crying out she wanted answers she wanted hope she wanted help and she responded the other lesson that we learn from this is the power of an invitation if my mum had not been invited to go along to the church community she would not have been able to experience that level of transformation to have the support around her. How many of you know we cannot do it alone? We were created for community. It's not good for man to be alone. God has called you to be part of a church family. 
He calls us to gather together. You know, there's, there's no such thing as going solo and doing our own thing. No, we're part of a body and we function best when we are connected. Connected to the body of Christ. My dad's story was a bit different. He was 19. He got invited to church by a very pretty girl. And he thought, aye, aye, I'll score a few brownie points here. I can do the church thing. He wasn't from a church background. And so he went along, same church, Elim Church in Portsmouth. So he went along and in that meeting, the gospel was shared. And dad just felt compelled when they give an appeal, he was just like down the front. He said, I just felt myself like drawn like metal to a magnet. I just went down the front and gave my heart to Jesus. He found the greatest relationship of all. He never got with a girl. Now, as pastors, we sometimes will talk about the different methods and theories of evangelism. Well, I like to call that one flirt to convert. (laughs) So for those of you that are really good looking, turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about me. He's talking about me. That's me. So dad got saved. And again, power of an invitation. Who are you inviting to church? Because it's not just about impacting that person. It's about the domino effect of blessing. We often talk about generational curses, but there's also generational blessing. Mum and dad, they were the first people in their family to break the cycle. And they began a new domino effect of God's blessing. You know, my nan saw such a radical change and transformation in my dad that there was this peace, there was this joy, there was this sense of purpose that, that she was like, what is he smoking? Where, where is he going? Like, I, I want to drink some of what he's drinking. She started following him, discovered he was going to church. So she would sit at the back of the church, it was a big church, about 800 people. She would sit at the back of the church And then just before the close of the service, she would slip away. And she did that for for several months before she too surrendered her life to Christ. So Nan got saved and she was, uh, God bless her, she's now graduated to glory. But she was a real prayer warrior and a real intercessor. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for my granddad. But he was really stubborn. Anyone got anyone like that in your family, in your friendship circles? It's just like they're so stubborn. And granddad was just like, oh, it's all a load of rubbish. He was from uh, Newcastle. I'm not very good on accents, but he's, oh, it's all a load of rubbish. And he was just so resistant. And we prayed for him and we invited him. We left tracks out on the table and we invited him to church. And he was just like not interested at all. And we just... We persevered like decades with granddad. And uh, one day he became very ill. and we, did, we didn't know about it as a family, but he became really ill. Very, very ill in, in, in the fact that I think he feared for his own life. And how many of you know that when, when you're in that place, 
it, it starts to affect the way that you think and reflect on life. And well, is there more to life? And is, is there an afterlife? And well, if I'm wrong, that's a big risk to take. So anyway, granddad uh, one day was just around my parents' house and he, uh, we didn't know he was ill at the time, but he came round and he was just really in this place, I suppose, of seeking and searching. And uh, he saw that uh, there was a Bible left out um, in the corridor at my mum and dad's house. And so, like, surprising looking back on it now, but that's how God works. So he sees this Bible and he just thinks to himself, I wonder if this is real. And I wonder if I open it, I wonder if God would speak to me in the Bible. So he opens the Bible, no one's around, but he's in mum and dad's house. And this is the verse he turns to, Isaiah 38.1. This is what it says. This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. He slammed the Bible shut. The fear of God hit my granddad. And he was in church on Sunday. (laughs) And that Sunday, he gave his heart to the Lord. (laughs) God works in mysterious ways. He's got a good sense of humor, isn't he, God? I bet he was having a good old chuckle up there. But God has his way. He, he pursues us to the end. He will not let us go. Well, granddad's still around. He's been around for like five years. He, God did a miracle in his life and he recovered from cancer and, you know, God did an amazing thing in his life and, uh, he accepted Christ in his mid seventies. That's cool, isn't it? That's so good. And, uh, my grandfather, my mum led my my nan and my granddad on her side to Christ as well. Um, her mother, she led just shortly before she passed away. And then one day, um, my, grand- my other granddad, uh, on my mum's side, he was, he'd been in hospital. He was a Chelsea pensioner, ex-paratrooper, boxer, real tough guy. And again, really just Stiff upper lip, don't need God. Um, Very, very, uh, come from a very broken background himself. But mum and dad just felt prompted. And they'd been to see him loads of times and shared the gospel with him, prayed with him and pleaded with him. But just nothing seemed to work. But this one time, the Holy Spirit just whispered into my mum and dad, go and see your dad and you're going to lead him to Christ. So they traveled up to the Royal uh, Chelsea Hospital. And they went to see um, their grand, uh, granddad, their dad, and just basically God gave them the language to, to access where he was at. And basically my mum just said, look, dad, you know, you, you know that like you obviously you're getting on and you've not been so well. And dad, can I just start? have you made your peace with God yet? And he said, no, I haven't. And so mum said, would you like me to pray with you? to make your peace with God. So we prayed and he invited Jesus into his life at 86 years of age. Two weeks later, he, he graduated to glory. My mum and dad went up to the Chelsea hospital and 
thanked the nurses, and they, they said, what happened two weeks ago? What happened two weeks ago? Because there was such a peace that all the nurses and the doctors wanted to spend time in his cubicle, in his area where his bed was, because there was something different. What was it? And they were able to share. It's because he invited Jesus into his life. God had changed him. 86 years of age. I, on the other end, was four years of age when I gave my heart to Jesus. Because I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Sunday school. I heard the gospel. How many of you know the gospel's not rocket science? Sometimes we overcomplicate it, but it's simple. Jesus loves us. He longs for a relationship with us. He died on the cross to forgive us of all our wrong past, present, and future. And all we have to do is accept him by faith. Give, surrender our lives to him. Call on his name and we'll be saved. And if you are here today and you've never done that, just invite you. Just say yes to Jesus. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to live for you. And God will come into your life and he'll change your life. Not only will he change your life, but there's going to be a domino effect blessing. I want to prophesy over some people here today that that's what God is going to do. That decisions that you're going to make today are going to have a domino effect of blessing. Not only in your life, but in the lives of your family and your friends and your circle of influence. So I was four years of age. You're never too old. You're never too young to receive Jesus into your life. God saves lives. He saves lives. So I want to share a few little valuable lessons that I've been learning while I've been away. Just doing a lot of time resting and reflecting and just seeking God's face. And I'm going to look at a passage of scripture in Genesis 2. Verse 2 to 3, it says this. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested. Everyone say rested. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God created and made. I want to share with you today about embracing the blessing of rest. Embracing the blessing of rest. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this one. You can ask my wife, sometimes I'm a bit of a workaholic. And God had spoken to me. We'd been through uh, a very difficult season. The last 18 months have been very, very difficult. Uh, that we've been through, making right decisions. But how many of you know that sometimes, you know, when you make right decisions, that there can be a cost of doing what's right, not necessarily what's popular. And um, we, were, we were really feeling it. And um, I really felt like God saying, you need to take a season of rest. That there was an element of kind of you're running a bit on the fumes. You, you have been running and you've had a lot of spiritual battles that have been going, you need to take some rest. And so God gives this word, and then the second voice came. 
How many of you know what I mean about the second voice? God will give you a word, and then there's that word of doubt that comes in. That Oh, yeah, but if we go on a season of rest, like, well, what will happen to the church? You know, I mean, the church needs me. I mean, you know, what if the church, you know, starts to shrink? What if people start to leave? And, and you know, if I do go on a rest, like, won't people think I'm lazy? And all of these other reasons why I shouldn't rest started to kick in. This season of rest that God was inviting me into, this blessing of rest that God was wanting to bring into our life. And we had all these, these reasons why that we, uh, that we shouldn't. And so it was kind of going backwards and forwards. And, and God really dealt with me because really it was pride. Because I was thinking like, well, you know, because I'm there like the church is being held together. And if I'm not there, like, it's not going to be. And, you know, Jesus really put me in my place and says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Hey, I'm not building the church. He's the one who's building it. He, there's only one savior. And it's not me. But I was in that mentality of, I have to do all of these things. And, you know, if I drop something, you know, something's going to break. And God really really spoke to me and challenged me. So I, I, I shared it with a leadership team, and we'd been at the church for 10 years. And uh, prior to that, I'd served with my parents' church. My dad and mum uh, uh, both became pastors. They planted a church, and so I was like my dad's right-hand man for nine and a half years. And, but we'd never taken a, a real rest. It was long overdue, to be honest. But God had given us this word. And so I shared it. And thankfully, most, most people were on board. And most people were very supportive. But there, there were those critics. So when God speaks to you, don't be surprised when not everyone's on board with what, what the, the dream is, what you feel God's saying. Uh, there, there will be opposition um, at times. And, you know, I remember this, this guy just coming up to me. And you're quite influential in the church, very well-respected and, and he said to me, I don't need rest. He was a workaholic. He was someone who was always, always busy, couldn't sit still. And uh, I don't need rest. And, and you know, I, I didn't say anything. I just kind of deflected it. But, you know, have you ever, like, had the perfect response, like, after someone's walked away? Like, Why didn't I say that? And I suddenly, just as I was processing it with God, I just felt this drop into my spirit. Even God rested. And are you God? <laughs> like, do you think you're above that? Now, God doesn't need rest because he's God. He's all my, but he chose this principle of rest. Some of you have been, come here today for a word from God. God's word to you is you need to take some rest. <laughs> some of you are too restless God doesn't want you to work and minister from a place of restlessness. He wants you to minister from a place of rest. Because, again, it all comes back to being in the know and the flow. Because when you're flowing with the presence of God, you'll do less and yet achieve way more. God wants us to be in the flow. And sometimes we can so busy and trying to do things in our own strength. But when we adjust our sails to the wind of the Spirit... And that catches, it will take us way further than what we can do 
in our own self-effort. So I want to say to you, embrace the blessing of rest. It's a holy thing initiated and modeled by God. I mean, you know, we can look at the Ten Commandments and say, oh, you know, I fulfill all of them. But are we having that time where we do take time to rest on a weekly basis? Are we taking that time where we really hone in on the Lord? That He's a priority. It doesn't mean that we're lazy, that we don't do anything, that we're inactive. But we need to have rhythms of rest. And that's going to look different. You know, for Phil and, uh, Pastor Phil and I, it's going to look very different for many of the others of you here. But find your rhythm. We're each different, but find your rhythm and make sure that you are taking time to rest. And you know, in this season of just rest, I've just been hearing God's voice so much more clearly because there's not so much, you know, that white noise that goes on around. Being still, knowing that he is God, God will speak to you. Second thing I want to say, resist the temptation to compare. Turn to your neighbor and say, resist the temptation to compare. Comparing yourself to others is one of the quickest ways to discourage and distract yourself from running your own race. If not dealt with, it has the potential to rob you of your joy and of your peace and derail you from walking in the fullness of all that God has for you. When I was in America, visiting 31 churches, some amazing churches, uh, saw some phenomenal facilities, some phenomenal preachers that were just out of this world epic and worship teams that have you know their own recording labels and some of the houses that we stayed in and we stayed in a few millionaires house I mean these were big big houses and can I be really honest with you guys can I be honest with you guys is that all right in that place I started to entertain the voice of the enemy and I started to think well what what am I doing? Like, I mean, my you know, the church that we pastor, I mean, it's, it's a fraction of the size of these big churches. These churches are like 10, 12,000 people. We just got a few hundred, you know, in the church that we pastor. And wow, you know, that speaker, he's just so dynamic. Like, oh, I'd never be as good as him. And oh, that beautiful house. Well, you know, oh, our house has got so many problems with it. And so many jobs to be done and you know it's an embarrassment our house in so many ways and I began to entertain the voice of the enemy I began to compare myself and I tell you what my peace and my joy started to erode and I'll tell you what in that first month it was a real battle God was dealing with me God was dealing with me because I was comparing myself to other people I love what Oscar Wilde says. He says, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. You know, I'm never going to be a T.D. Jakes or a Stephen Furtick or, you know, Joyce Meyer or 
whoever the speakers, you know, that, that you might aspire to or, or, or admire. I'm never going. I tried preaching like T.D. Jakes once. It just didn't work. <laughs> just. I even put the boot polish on and shouted really loud and couldn't sweat as much as he did. Did put on a few pounds in America though, so. I'm not good at being someone that I'm not. Because I'm me. With my shortcomings, with my faults, with my weaknesses, I'm me. And I excel when I release myself to be me. Some of you need to be released from the pressure that you're putting on yourself to try and, try and be someone that you're not. I don't think social media helps. You know what I mean? Look through some of the social media posts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I don't know, whatever you're on, if you're on social media, and you're seeing all these pictures, and everyone looks so happy, and they're on these holidays, and there's beautiful white sands, and blue seas, and everyone's, this, you know, rainbows, and unicorns, and it's, everyone's so happy. We end up comparing our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reel. I remember talking with a, a girl in the church, City Life Church, about this in Portsmouth. And she put up this picture and it was like a really happy shot of her and her family. And I remember saying, oh, that's a lovely photo. And she came alongside. She said, can I be really honest with you? I know that's how it looked, but when I look back on that photo, I was depressed, I was anxious, I was struggling, I was not happy. So when I look at that picture, what comes back is a very different emotion. Because you saw a facade, but the reality is I was struggling. And so many times we compare ourselves with other people, looking at other people's eyes, thinking, wow... The grass is so much greener on the other side. I want to say this. The grass is greener where you water it. Actually, confession, no. There is, a diff there is one situation where there's an exception to the rule. My neighbor's lawn is greener than mine. Do you know why? It's artificial. <laughs> the grass, the genuine, the true grass is greener where you water it. Everyone, you're behind every mask. There is a drama that's going on, but God wants to release us. And I really had to, you know, maybe for, for you, it's not preachers and, and churches that you, you sometimes attempted to compare. So maybe for you, it's comparing your house. Maybe it's comparing your job. Maybe it's comparing your, your qualifications or your bank balance or opportunities. I don't know. You fill in the gap. But I think if we're all honest, at times we will compare ourselves to other people. And it's a very dangerous place to be. God wants us to be grateful for who we are. And the reality is there's always someone who's got more. You know, for us pastors, you know, maybe we, you know, we've got a few hundred in the church. And, you know, you think, hey, you know, I'm doing pretty well. And then you meet someone who's got a thousand and then, like, maybe your church gets to a 1,000. You're like, yeah, I've really arrived. And then, like, you meet someone who's got 10,000. 
And you're like, yeah. Then you get to 10,000, you think you've arrived, and then you meet someone like Yongi Cho. You've got like 700,000 in their church in South Korea, and you're like, oh, I feel really small. You can end up being like the dog chasing your own tail. God wants you to embrace who he has called you to be. When I entertain the voice of comparison, it can create a block in the flow of what God's wanting to do in and through my life. Can anyone else relate? 2 Corinthians 10.12, Paul says this, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. So God's word to some of you in this room that you've come here today is stop comparing yourself to other people and be who God's called you to be. You're created in the image and likeness of God. You are his workmanship. You're God's favorite. We're all God's favorite. So here's a few keys to killing comparison. Number one, embrace the uniqueness of who God made you to be. Second thing is guard your heart and filter your internal conversation. You know, do you know what I mean by that internal conversation? Some of us are beat by the time that we get out of the bed in the morning and we get to the, the bathroom because it's the thoughts that we entertain, that internal conversation that goes on in our mind. And this was what I was really, really battling with. And I had to really intentionally reject the lies of the enemy that were trying to get me to devalue what God had given me. To embrace the positive voice of love and grace and truth that leads to freedom. You know, often the battle is in the mind. And our thoughts are like seeds. And when we sow the wrong seeds, we end up with the weeds that seek to choke out the life in us and those around us. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Philippians 4a. I like to call this the Philippians 4 focus filter. So when you have thoughts, I want you to check it against this list. Let's have a look at it. This is what Paul says. He said, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things so if it's not one of those key words that's underlined don't think about it don't meditate on it because it's going to pull you down and we can complain you know us brits particularly are, are very good at complaining aren't we even with this beautiful weather everyone oh, it's too hot <laughs> come on it's like barbados you know, there's that saying, isn't there? You know, I complained about having no shoes until I met the man with no feet. There's always something that we can be grateful for. You know, we're saved. We, you know, we have life, we have breath in our lungs. There's so many things that we can be thankful for. Here's the other point. Meditate on what God says about you in his word. And this was just a little thing that, that I did um, during the season where I was having a lot of mental turmoil uh, where it was a real battle going on in my mind with comparison so what I did is I wrote out the truths that combated the lies 
And, and so there are seasons in my life where I go through and pick up kind of really being more intentional about declarations. So I wrote this declaration in the morning. And like, so I'd be reading out God's word and faith began to arise in me. So it'd be like, you know, I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. I'm the righteousness of God. I've been set apart for greatness. God has good plans for my future. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And just begin, just, just immersed in scripture and just begin to speak. This is what God says about me. This is who God is. And as I did that consistently, during that first month after I really started, God started to deal with me. It started to shift and it lifted. So I want to encourage you, like, you know, that's something that's really helpful. If I'm happy if you give me your email afterwards. I'll happily send you the declarations that, that I put together. You probably can come up with something better yourself. But speaking God's word is powerful. Joshua 1, 8 says, the book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. How many of you want to be prosperous and have good success? So here's some kingdom keys. Meditate on the word. Speak it out. And also do it. Live it as well. Be that word made flesh. Here's the final point I want to make. of Lessons that I've learned since being on my sabbatical. Number three. Adopt the greatest vision of all. Adopt the greatest vision of all. So what's the greatest vision of all? It's the greatest vision to have the biggest church is the the greatest vision to have the most successful business, you know, bringing in the most profits? Is it to have, like, all knowledge and and have the most impressive uh, qualifications and letters after your name? Or or maybe it's something a bit more noble, like, is it, like, to, to eradicate world hunger? What is the greatest vision... Of all, we're going to have a look because the Apostle Paul reveals actually what's the greatest vision of all. Philippians 3 8 and 9. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. Everyone say, Knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. And jumping forward to 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. The greatest vision of all is knowing Christ. And I tell you what, when you get that in your spirit, you stop having this kind of okey-cokey with your peace and joy. You know, it's like, oh, you know, if I'm being profitable in my business, or if I'm getting the grades I want, or, you know, if I've got the material gain that I'm looking for, if my church attendance is up, and, you know, and everyone's jumping, and... 
we, we can have all these things that we, we, we think kind of shows the greatest vision and what's kind of the definition of success. But really, true success, true, the greatest vision that you can adopt is intimacy with Christ. That's where it's at. So when you get that, and everyone can do that, because relationship with God is the most natural thing in the world. So you know that you're a winner and you know that every day like, I'm talking with the Lord, he's talking with me. So you feel a winner all the time because you've adopted the greatest vision of all. John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life. This is the pinnacle. This is where it's at, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus was asked, wasn't he, what's the greatest commandment of all? And there, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments to pick from. It was also the mitzvahs, the 613 Jewish laws. There was a lot of choice. But what did Jesus say was the greatest commandment of all? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. What's it talking about? Intimacy. It's talking about relationship. It's, it's talking about the only true relationship that can satisfy It's Jesus Christ. The only vision that will last for all of eternity is knowing him. I want to invite maybe the keyboard player or some of the band just to come forward. And I want to say this. The best fruit comes out of deep intimacy with God. The best fruit, the fruit that's going to last, comes out of that place of intimacy. Prioritize his presence. Prioritize time in the word. Prioritize, you know, just talking, weaving him into the tapestry of your everyday life. I want to close with this verse in Daniel 11, 32 in the second part. It says this, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. How many of you want to be strong and carry out great exploits? So what's the key here? It's knowing the people who know their God. That's where God is calling us. He's calling us. I like to break this verse down. It's no, be, do. Not Scooby-Doo. It's no, be, do. No. Knowing him. Relationship. Being. Being who we are in Christ. Knowing what your identity is. That you are who God's called you to be. Being released to be who you are. Releasing yourself from trying to be something that you're not. And then doing out of that place of intimacy with God. Knowing who you are in Christ. Being who you are called to be. Then that's when you'll see the doing. We're called to do great works. We are called to do that. But it flows from that place of intimacy and knowing who we are. Shall we stand to our feet? Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.